Hi, I'm Nicola. Hi, I'm Adam. Hi, this is Adult, and you're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hutzel. Today, I'm so happy to have Kwame Dawes um, joining me from via phone from Nebraska. Kwame, thanks for being on the program today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on on the phone with you and to be on the radio. Uh, well, it's been. We were talking uh, just a moment ago about how it's it's been a while since you've been to Ann Arbor, um, 2006, 2007. So I'm thinking it's it's about time that we should start uh, plotting your next trip here. <laughs> that sounds like music to me. <laughs> I enjoyed my last time there, so it'll be great, yeah. Uh, well, always, you're always, always, always welcome here. Um, so, Kwame, uh, today uh, we, I have your, your latest collection, your new and selected poems, uh, published uh, in last year by Copper Canyon Press, um, Duppy Conqueror. Am, am I pronouncing the, is, or is it Duppy? It's Duppy. You've got it, it is right Duppy? Okay. Time. Yeah, that's okay. correct. So, yeah. And edited by Matthew Shinoda. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, before we go any further, I'll just read your short bio um, from the back of the book, and then we'll go from there. Kwame Dawes is currently the Glenna Luce Editor-in-Chief of Prairie Schooner at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, where he is a Chancellor's Professor of English, a faculty member of Cave Canem, and a teacher in the Pacific MFA program in Oregon. He is co-founder and programming director of the biennial Calabash International Literary Festival, which takes place in Jamaica. He is a regular blogger for the Poetry Foundation, and also, uh, you've, you, everyone can check out kwamidaz.com, um, your, own, your own site. Um, Kwame, thanks again for being on the program. Thanks for having me. It's good. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think the last time um, when you were here, you were in South Carolina. You had been based in South Carolina and had... Um, I don't know, lot, lots of things going on there. Uh, the South, you know, director of the University of South Carolina Arts Institute and the South Carolina Poetry Initiative. And, and now, now you're in Nebraska. Another, another big move. Huge move for us. I mean, we were in South Carolina for about 19 years, which is, which is a, a lot of time. And, um, and it was home. It became really a powerful, influential and, and, and sort of, you know, an urgent space for me to, 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 to write and to, to, to live. 
Um, so the move to, to Nebraska was dramatic because, uh, frankly, these are completely different countries. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, yes. the South and the Midwest, <laughs> they might as well be miles apart. The only thing that's similar is that the, 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 the um, targets and the Walmarts are laid out pretty much the same. Oh, how, how reassuring. The most comforting. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much it. Um, but, but, but the excitement of being here has been great. We've been here about three years. And um, editing Prairie Schooner has been exciting. And um, fortunately, uh, not unlike South Carolina, I've been able to sort of start a number of really exciting, very new initiatives, including the African Poetry Book Fund, which is publishing African poets, setting up poetry libraries in Africa. Um, and these, these are really exciting um, initiatives that we've been able to do through Prairie Schooner and through the university. And um, so it's been good. It's been really a great move for us. And is that part of what drew you out there, Kwame? The the job, yeah, Prairie Schooner itself was one of the big pulls for for me, and um, it doesn't hurt when you're wanted, you know. There's a, <laughs> there's a there's a nice thing about that. Um, when people say we'd love you to come here, we want you to come here, and um, and that was helpful. And in the timing of my life, I was a full professor in South Carolina and still relatively young. Um, and I, it seemed like a good, a good time to, tr- to try a new setting and a new situation. And um, so it's been, it's been excellent for us. And, and so have you bought some horses? No, I haven't bought any horses. But I have to say, I was in Aruba last week and I rode my first horse. And apparently, oh. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a natural um, on the horse. Um, uh, <laughs> poor horse is all I can say. But no. um, apparently, I do that well. So who knows? I might even buy a horse if I can stand the... I don't think they call them bunions on your buttocks. But there's, there's, there's something that happens to your buttocks when you sit on a horse too long that I think um, I'm going to have to try and avoid. <laughs> Isn't that a great word? The sound quality is incredible, (laughs) even coming via phone from Nebraska. (laughs) Well, so everyone state and we actually can even say buttocks because, you know, the FCC hasn't outlawed that one. So we can just be free with that. I check. You, you are too kind. You're looking out for us, even across all these miles, Kwame. Um, Yes. So, well, okay. Well, I'm gonna. We're gonna have to talk more about horses and stuff, but um, but maybe a bit about this this wonderful, um, this wonderful book, the yeah. new and selected poems. Um, I, so how did Matthew Shinoda come to edit it? Because uh, for for a re- I I don't know. I was surprised because he's the one that actually did the selecting of these poems. He did. And Matthew, Matthew has been a, a very good friend of mine. And um, we met several years ago um, through um, my relationship with Chris Abani, who is also a dear friend. He's wonderful. He's yeah, lovely. And, and, and um, so Matthew kept saying that really we should, you know, you should have a new and selected. And he was the one who had the relationship with um, Copper Canyon and thought, um, he would like to pitch this idea of doing a new and selected with them um, of mine, uh, and pretty much initiated all of that. And 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 Copper Canyon bought into it at the time. So, um, and and Matthew asked me, do I want to make the selections, or would I be comfortable if he did? And I said I would love him to do the selections. Why? Because, Why? Well, because I I thought that my selections would be of a sort, um, because huh. I have these poems that are my favorite poems, and these poems that I think are signature poems, and so on. But I was really curious to see how somebody else's 
um, engagement with my work would what would what would be the result of it? Um, a few years ago, I did a new and selected with People Tree Press in that, that in, came the, out. in yeah. the UK. In the UK, yeah, and and I was involved in that selection primarily. I did most of those selections, so I had a sense of what that would look like, mm. um, and it was great. Um, I you know Matthew and I went back and forth on a few things, but I really came to see that there was a kind of method in his in his approach and um you know, I, I think Matthew is very interested in, 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 in the political dimensions of, of, of my work and um, wanted to, to, to create a thread, um, a narrative thread that runs through that, or I would say not a narrative thread, but a kind of thematic thread, a, a, the evolution of one's um, sense of the world, one's place in the world as a writer. And I think Dopey Conqueror really represents that well. And then the title was one that I came up with, which I thought was just perfect, because, of course, there's that great Bob Marley tune yes. called Dopey Conqueror. <laughs> um, and, and it seemed like um, the, 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 the audacity of the statement, but also the strong spirituality in this political articulation, I thought was, was just perfect for it. And the Dopey in Jamaica is a malevolent spirit, anything that's you know evil spirit and so on and so forth. And so they, when Bob Marley says, if you are a bullbucker, <laughs> I am the doppy conqueror. I'm, my job here is to defeat all evil spirits and wicked people. So that's my message to the world. I am a doppy conqueror. <laughs> oh, I want to be too, Kwame. Yes, I, yes, I, yes. yes. Yeah. Um, and, and so have you ever... Uh, it, have you ever had like a, an intimate experience with the the duppy? Yes, I I think I've, I've, I've I encounter duppies all the time. This is an occupational hazard, actually. <laughs> so it's a good thing you're a conqueror, because otherwise, yes. you'd be in a heap. It would be, be a bit of a problem. Yes, it would be a bit of a problem. No, the duppy becomes sort of a larger metaphor for. Um, systems for 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 individuals, but largely for systems and for the ways in which the world seems to work against the the disenfranchised, the the the, the, the helpless, and the the, the oppressed, and um, and and those those systems are not just external to us, but they are even within us. Mm. Um, you know, and mm. and one has to to somehow find ways to resist that. And so you resist that in the love poems. I'm resisting. The, the the doppies that that destroy affection and that destroy um, the, the the cohesion of relationships, um, and in 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 the social context of HIV/AIDS, the doppies are the systems that surround the the stigma that 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 happens and the hurt that happens and the deaths that happen and the poem sort of sort of are the illuminating moment in the midst of that. So yeah. The, the, the duppies are, are perpetually with us, and and um, our quest is to to conquer. And and uh, Kwame, in your in your collection Wisteria, um, that that makes me think with the duppy there would be like the you making sure that these stories um, don't vanish. Yeah, these, yeah, these because the, the, these are stories that, and I think uh, to Omi's only one of the women who I spoke to is still living now. They've all passed. Um, but but their stories have have are there in this book and they're there in the performances that we did and the songs that were written based on these poems. Um, women who lived through the Jim Crow um, era in the South and um, and and their stories are enriching and 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 and, and are powerful. They're beautiful. You know, I I always think of Mali singing. Um, 
you know, we free the people with music, you know, with music. Um, and, and, and to me, that is, that is, the poetry is not doctrinaire, that the poetry is, is, a, is a kind of freeing, freeing mechanism. It's, a, it's the music that, that, that enhances what is within us. And, um, and in, a, in a sense, our wrestle with language is a wrestle to articulate that which could be lost if it is not spoken, that which, which could be lost if it is not, not addressed somehow. And I think poetry, poetry does that. Poetry is about language and using language in these ways. And you were saying, and, and wrestling. Yeah, wrestling. I think that's a very good word. Yeah. Wait, and, and why, Kwame? Because I, I've, I think my perpetual condition as a poet is, is, is failure. In other words, uh-huh. I always feel that I'm inadequate in terms of my capacity as a poet, my craft, my skill, to the, the, to the, the, the largeness and the, the simplicity of the idea that I, that I have to um, express. I'm constantly aware of the, the gap between the, uh, the idea, the gap between the sentiment, the emotion, the thought, and, and my ca- language, my, my facility with language to capture it. Um, and, and that's fine. I, I, I don't, you know, be, be, living with failure doesn't, doesn't fill me with, with a sense of defeat. It just fills me with a sense of um, desiring to do better, to get better at it. So, so it is a wrestle. It is a, a, an effort to find the, the right word, the right language, the, 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 the beauty of, of language to articulate um, experience, both beautiful and, and horrific experience. Um, and, and that's the commitment that I make as a poet. And, and that's why I think I'm always growing as a poet. And it sounds it sounds actually there's a certain type of braveness to that because it's you're not letting any of that paralyze you because you have all these books that are out in the world, like yeah. books that have been with People Tree uh, Press, like m- many books in, yeah. in Britain. And then in 1994, was that Progeny of Air? Was that the first one printed here? Kwame? No, Progeny of Air was actually published in, 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 in the UK. Okay. So the first one published in the US was Midland, which was ah. published in 95, I think. Okay. Was it? No, 2000, sorry. In 2000, Midland was published. And that was my first book in the States. And I had published in Canada as well. Yeah. But, but you're but it's right. Like, but you're, I, you're not letting any of this no. failure. Like, <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm not. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there are people who are. <laughs> Who would say, why don't you just stop? (laughs) (laughs) And to them I say, I got stuff to do, man. I got got people to talk to, things to do. Leave me alone, you know. (laughs) If If the poems keep coming, then I'll keep writing them. And this is what I, and when they stop, then they stop. That's all, that's all I would say. Yeah. Kwame, we're going to take a short break and we're going to be right back. And we won't stop um, today. Living Writers on the program, Kwame Dawes um, joins us calling, um, calling in from Nebraska. We'll take a short break and be right back. Good God of mercy. My confidence, Rastafari run the continent. This King Celestia, you pay the consequence. Don't get it confused. God, give me your back, last Perlina. Come make me mix up the roots with Medina. Come off a door and me feel weak. 
sap and sapata, coconut water, fi wash off your heart. Hey, nobody could have said Rasta soft. Me go link viva fast and never fever grass. Hey, Sperlina be blending, so you know why I'll be spending every dollar out of me bill fall. Hey, a buckle of the green and I it make me clean, so me skill like Alan still cold. If you know get it, you will lose. Make your food be your medicine, your medicine, your food. Blend up your carrot with the lettuce in a juice. No free free mix your vegetable with the fruits. Give me a bottle of spirulina. And make me mix up the roots with Medina. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, glad you did. I'm T. Hetzel. Uh, you've got Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. And today, Kwame Dawes uh, joins us via phone from Nebraska. Um, we've got his book, Duppy Conqueror, uh, here um, out last year with Copper Canyon Press. Um, many thanks to Joseph for sending um, the book along to me. And, um, and thanks to Matthew Shinoda um, for sort of being the catalyst uh, behind the book, as it sounds like, Kwame. Yeah, absolutely. And Matthew, and by the way, Matthew has a new book that's just coming out in the fall. Um, what is it? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a fascinating collection because, it, of course, you know, Matthew is Egyptian-American, and the book is called Tahrir Suite, the Tahrir Suite, and it looks oh. at the, um, the, 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 the situation in Tahrir Square, and, and, and it's a beautiful, beautiful collection that's coming out with Northwestern. Um, so something to look out for. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's yeah. good for. Um, I'll have to get him on the show. Yeah, you should. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Smart guy. And and so <laughs> must be friend friend of yours, Kwame. Friend of mine. Yeah. <laughs> so so what surprised you that um, this Matthew Shinoda added to Duppy Conqueror, like when he was creating this thematic thread? Uh, which I think is really beautiful. This way of um, that you, how you expressed it, like, and that you trusted him yeah. to sort of see, like, you tell your own story of through the poems. Yeah, I think I think what I wouldn't say surprising, but what what, what was very pleasant to observe was the way in, the kind of selections that he would make, um, because there were some books that I thought there's just no way that he he can sort of sustain that thread, um, <laughs> but. But what he demonstrated to me was that there is a kind of consistency in my poetry that, that uh, until somebody sort of pulls it out and looks at it in that way, whether it's through an article or, in this case, through a, a selection of poems, um, it, it is hard to see it. And, and I think what he, what he demonstrated is, to, is, is that there's a way to read my work through the lens of reggae music. And reggae music not just as a rhythmic entity, but a reggae music as a kind of philosophical, um, uh, sort of aesthetic um, force. And, and he does that beautifully in in, in the selections. And the other thing that he does is he looks at the idea of Africa and its diaspora yes. in all its permutations and all its complexities. And he manages to pull out these poems that speak to that. The other thing I loved about the, the, the selection is that he picked poems he liked. You know, there's a kind <laughs> of passion. Huh. Um, and, I, and I find that flattering on one hand, but also energizing for, for a collection because, you know, he, when he talks about it and when, when you see that, you can see that there's, there's joy, there's delight um, in the work. And I think that, to me, means a great deal. Yeah. Huh. Well, you, uh, Kwame, would you read one of them? Sure. Did you have one in mind? <laughs> I, you know, I would, well, one that you feel like sure, surprised I, I that, yeah, or not the surprise, but when you saw it, you're like, oh, this is what is in a way embodying what you 
you're just telling us about. Yeah, so here's, here's a, this came from a, a small collection called Bruce Totems that was published in 2004. Um, and it, was, it was a series of poems that I wrote in response to artwork from the Barres collection. This was in at the University of um, Minnesota. Um, and no, not Minnesota, it was the University of Wisconsin, I think it was. And I was invited there to, um, to look at the work. Um, and then write poems in response to to, to this artwork, um, and it was it was quite quite a moving experience. Um, and so here's a poem which I had written for Rwanda, um, and it's called Sight. Every axe should have an eye to see the havoc that it wreaks. These days our tools are made in factories, machetes. Blind as stone arrive stacked high in trucks. They do not see the soft eyes of a child. Every axe must have an eye to see the havoc that it wreaks. And it's a small little lyric, really, but yeah. the lyric came from the, the piece of art, which is a very powerful piece of art um, and, and a util- utilitarian piece of art, is it, an axe. Essentially, it's an axe, but it has a face at the front of the axe. It has eyes that mm-hmm. are there at the front of the axe. And it occurred to me that the thought came to me, because this was 2004, and the thought came to me, um, if all weapons had eyes to see where the weapon was going, the impulse to destroy might be withheld somehow. Um, and so that little lyric kept haunting me for a while before I wrote it down as a poem. And so this is, so that, that, and so there we we have this sort of broad philosophical idea about violence, and yet, in the context of Rwanda, it is actually quite startling and um, and humbling at the same time. And when you were saying that this this image or this this idea was haunting you, was it as that part of when you were somehow creating some of the the lines in the poem, like was it that it just keeps returning, and so there's these uh, the images, and and that's how you were making this particular poem? Yeah, I I, I think I mean I I should say something quickly about my process of oh, writing, yes. which yes. which I think helps helps, um, and it, and I I, I I do this with great caution. Um, because because I, I want to remind the children at home not to attempt this at home. Um, you might get hurt. But this is how... <laughs> Thanks for the advisory label. I just had to put that in. But this is, this is how I write, and it's very distinctive. It's, I mean, maybe other people write that way, but this is how I work. I, I write a very quick first draft. In other words, I draft a poem in its entirety before I stop. And once I've stopped, then I think I know what the poem is about. But before that, I really don't know what, what the poem is about. I know I have an impulse, I have a motivation, I have something that kicks in, and it sometimes is an image, sometimes it's just a desire to make a poem. Then I start to draft, and once I draft this poem, I know where the poem is going by the end of the draft, and then I will come back to it multiple times to fix it up. But if I stop writing before I end the draft, I discard it. I never return to a draft and finish the draft in, that, in the way that 
some people would write a line, go away, come back, and so on. I don't write that way. Um, so, so when I talk about the hauntings, the haunting tends to be an, an, an image that sort of lodges itself in my head. Um, and it's, it's there, I think about it, and I don't necessarily think this is a poem. I just think, wow, this is just an interesting thing. Then I come to write, and it, that mm-hmm. image will sort of rear its head out of, mm-hmm. out of this cesspool of, 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 of thoughts and images and ideas that have sort of settled in my brain, and, and, and it will become part of the poem that I'm writing. Um, and I, I try not to, to be too sort of... Um, uh, I try not to examine it too thoroughly um, because I, I I want to allow the mystery of the thing to to, to exist. Uh, I'm sure there's some mm. clear logical mm-hmm. things that are happening, but I prefer not to pay attention to those logical things, but to leave this as a kind of mystery for me. So generally, that's how how I write and. Um, even when I'm being asked, even when I'm working on a project that is very specific, um, I'm still uh, trying to allow a, 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 lo- a larger impulse of improvisation and discovery to take place. Typically, a poem, I don't know how a poem is going to end until the poem ends. I really don't. And the, 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 one of the great joys of writing for me is finally discovering where this is going and what this is about. <laughs> I, I, Kwame, I... I hear you about that. And also, it seems so interesting that what you're also saying is that you're building in this trust of um, the experience of whatever, well, not the moment, because I'm sure it takes you more than a moment to draft the first poem in its entirety. But to to know that something, maybe it's like your, your mind or your spirit and mind, like something is fused that's, it's, that won't be the same again. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I, I trust a number of things. I trust the way that language works. I, 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 I trust that language will find its way to some kind of value and some kind of meaning. I trust that part of it. Why and how? Um, how because yeah. because I've because it's happened again and again. So, <laughs> so that's the second part. I, I, was, words, yeah. <laughs> I trust it because it's been working, and and mm. I do enter it always with some trepidation that it may not work, uh, but but it's continued to work. And 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 look, there are many sort of beginnings of poems that I've just discarded. I mean, it's not always that I end up with a poem that I'm that I'm satisfied with, but I've trusted a pattern that has worked um, over the years. So that's one part of it. And the other part of it, of course, is, uh, is what I've read. I, you know, I, I, I'm not writing in isolation. I'm writing out of the things that have fed me as a, as a, as a, as a reader, somebody who, who takes pleasure in, in poetry, in literature, in writing, in art, in music, in film, and so on. So, so, so I'm excited about those things. And, and I guess I am I'm so driven by the impulse to, 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 to find that kind of delight um, that I've experienced as a reader in the work that I'm writing because I want somebody else to experience that delight. So I trust that impulse as well and the, the, hopefully the generosity of that impulse. Yeah. And is that also connected to, um, it, like, through, like, engaging with the, uh, with the beauties yeah and 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 you know the, the the beauties as an idea is fascinating to me because it has to do with um uh what what i would what i would say are the things that 
that the, the, the aesthetic graces that we get out of out of out of art. Um, that that phrase, the beauties, was something that startled me once when I was reading an interview with Bob Marley, and he used the phrase that he, you know, is just trying to get to the beauties, you know, which is which is just such a, <laughs> you know, um, this is a, a stunning kind of articulation by Bob Marley, um, because the idea of beauty um, is is sometimes is misunderstood as prettiness or, or sort of loveliness. But beauty is, is a kind of aesthetic coherence that, um, that allows us to, to find pleasure, that allow us to, allows us to find a certain kind of satisfaction in it. And sometimes it is, it is, it is a horrible thing that we are describing and seeing, but it's turned into this thing that is, that is still beautiful, that is it, even in its horror. Um, and and I and I I believe in that. I, I think I, I I I've seen it happen in in the best literature that I continue to read and that I've read and um, uh, and seen um, in performance and so on and so forth. And 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 hopefully I I've managed to see that happen in the in the work that I've written. And Kwame, as you say, you, when you're defining this aesthetic coherence, allows us to find pleasure or satisfaction. That's interesting. That it's like to find like that's a key component of it. There's this discovery. It's not something that's um, pre-packaged or laid out the same like in a, a Target all over this country. Like it, it is, it's made something particular into its own self, even if, like you said, it's a, a, like a sadness or a horror thing. Yeah, I think that's, that's so well put, though, and I think that's, that's just right. Um, the, the, the thing that is, is the most boring for me and is... is is when I read work that doesn't seem to be discovering, the, the, when I don't think that the poet, the writer is, disco- is discovering, is, is trying to, is, is surprising themselves, or is, you know, when everything seems to have been prepackaged and pre-pranced. Sometimes a poet will write a poem, and you know where the poem is going from the beginning, because the poet has already sort of organized it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you hope that, they, you know, whatever, what I really think that whatever the poet themselves experiences, the poet him or herself experiences in the process of writing is largely what the reader is going to experience in the process of reading. Um, mm-hmm. And, and this, is, this, is, this is a sort of a, a, a peculiar kind of cry against the, 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 the sort of closed-minded work that says, this is what this is going to be, and this is how I'm going to make it, and, and, and not trusting that the poem can create its own internal logic, its own internal sort of direction. Um, but it's a discovery of things that are deep inside us. So, so sometimes I, I, one of the greatest pleasures I find is when I go, wow, Yes. I did not know. I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> or what? <laughs> right. I, I, I had no idea I knew that. No, I guess I did. So I didn't know. And that, that I think, is exciting. I mean, it's, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that happens if we allow ourselves to do that. Kwame, let's let's take a short break and we'll be right back. Okay, today on the program, Kwame Dawes uh, joins us from Nebraska. Um, His latest new and selected Duppy Conqueror. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Kwame Dawes um, joins us via phone from Nebraska. His book, Out with Copper Canyon Press, Duppy Conqueror. Um, thanks to Tex for engineering today. And Kwame, thanks for picking all the songs for today's program. Yeah. Thanks for letting me do that. <laughs> These are songs that I, you know, I, I pick them very simply by how many times I've played these songs over and over and over and over again. <laughs> Okay, so I figured I got to like these songs. So, so these songs are pretty much like part of your like, uh, like top five, oh, like in there, like oh, the yeah, top they're five my, songs. They're easily my top. The overplayed songs of my <laughs> my my yeah. I can listen to these each of these songs again and again. It's like it doesn't bother me one bit. So. Well, you know, I, 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 don't, I, I mean, if I was to put on my very intellectual brain, I could give you all the good <laughs> reasons for it. But I just, I just love those tunes. They're great songs. And why this one? This one's by Ziggy Marley. This is by Ziggy Marley. And this is a, it's really not as well known of the Ziggy Marley and the Melody Makers tunes. But it was done with a wonderful group from Ethiopia who I've not heard back of, of them doing anything else since then. But they do all the Amharic um, uh, lyrics in there. And in it, Ziggy Marley sort of lays out beautifully the, the, the celebration of African accomplishments of Africans. And he says, it's, it's black is my story, and it's not his story. Um, that is somebody else's story. And he's actually saying something that I was actually talking about in class today, which is the ways in which um, the history of, of, of colonialism and enslavement have sort of willfully shifted the, the valuing of the things that, uh, the discoveries, the, the, mm. the, the civil that have existed um, in, in Africa, from South Africa right up to the top, um, and, and demean them as, as if they, they, do, they do not, they, they have no value. Um, so Ziggy, in this very sort of moving and sweet song, is, um, um, is, is just celebrating the accomplishment mm. of, 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 of Africans. And, and I loved it because at the time, I think Ziggy was just in his, you know, maybe late teens, early 20s, his father had died, and he was now sort of the guy who had to do something. Yes. And um, and 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 this is this is one of the songs he put together. I, I admire that ability for him to write such a such a, a lasting song um, under all that kind of pressure. Yeah, um, of that expectation. Yeah, the expectation. Yeah. So. It's a good song. It's beautiful. It's sweet. I mean, you can't listen to it and not want to dance. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's very, very beautiful. Yeah. Well, thanks for picking it for today, Kwame. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's it's actually, I feel like it's reminding me a little bit um, as I was listening um, to to your book that you did with Tom Feelings, I Saw Your Face. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and. Yes, could you? Because it seems like that part of that inspiration was from a game that your your mother used to to play. Yeah, the, you know, you know, I I always enjoy just remembering Tom Tom um, Tom Feeling. Um, he he had a book uh, called um, um, The Middle Passage. Um, mm. Black skin? No, what is it? Black ships? White ships? Black Cargo, I think it was called, The Middle Passage. It's a beautiful, just all, all, all his paintings um, sort of tracing The Middle Passage. And I was so moved by that work, so moved just v- seeing it. I didn't know who he was, that I wrote, I started to write a letter to him to thank him for, for oh. the book. 
And the letter became, came out in these poems. <gasps> and so the, the, the suite of poems I wrote, I just sent them to him and said, I just want to thank you. Eventually, to cut a long story short, the, the poems were published in a collection called Requiem. But it opened up a relationship between Tom and myself. And, at, and one day I was up in his place. This is in South Carolina. I was in his is home and he just said why don't we do a book together and i said okay i mean <laughs> sure i mean you're a dumb feeling and he said look i'll just give you there's some artwork that i have he gave me several um huge his huge portfolios of 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 artwork that he had done um of portraits of children um in africa in 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 in, in the u.s and in in the caribbean um all all black kids and um he he said just go write some poems and let's see what we've got. So I did. I kept this, this stuff for about six months, and I just wrote poem after poem after poem. There's a ton of poems responding to this work. And, and finally, I put it all together, and I sent these poems to him. And then he asked me to come over, and he said, we're going to use this one. And he picks one poem, which was I Saw Your Face. And yes. he says, let's make the book. And he proceeded to take I Saw Your Face, this little poem, and uh, to create this book. And and he made the book. He makes about five copies of each. He says, this one is for you. I'll keep this one. He said he's just, he wants to send this one to Maya Angelou, who was a good friend oh. of his, um, because he thought she would like it. And I think he get, kept one for his daughter. And, and, he, and I said, okay, great. And he says, good, we've made a book. That's beautiful. I've made a book with Tom Feeling. And um, <laughs> And then maybe about a year later, he calls me and he says, you know, I need you to come in. He says, look, I have a, I have a, a, a contractual commitment to Dial Books. And they, they said, they, you know, I, I owe them a book. And I, <laughs> I thought maybe I would just give them this book. And, and I said, sure, I don't care. <laughs> you know, um, and that's how we got I Saw Your Face, the book. So, wow. Um, but what I love about this is that we made the book for the love of making a book. Yes. Um, for no other reason. There was no talk about publishing or anything like that, but, but for just the love of making the book. And, um, and it just was a tremendous experience for me working with Tom, who was just generous and funny and wise and, uh, and, and just really good, you know, really, really good at what he did. Yeah. And then did he arrange, choose the images? And this book, I Saw Your Face, is available at the Ann Arbor Public Library. And, and I'm sure um, uh, Literati and Nicholas would order it for you, anyone out there listening who wants to take a look at it. Yeah. But um, and so he then, because um, he I love that you said he said well, you're. He's just going to use one one of the many poems that you've been working for six months over. But it's brilliant right. when you see this. You know, about 60 poems, and he said, this is the one we're using. And I thought, well, okay, right. And, and, and Kwame, this is, um, and, and then he picked these images that yes. probably you had been looking at and yes. sort of arranged them on the same He did everything. Page. He, he designed the whole book. He gave them a finished book. He gave Dial a finished book, and then he died while it was in production. And so I had to make some of the final decisions about the artwork and some of the decisions because some of the art they didn't think was working well in certain places. But for the most part, they used exactly what he gave them. This was the, the book you're looking at. I saw your face when you look at that book. That is the book Tom Feeling designed. I have a copy, my copy that he made and gave to me, which I will cherish forever. It's a, it's it's with and it's cut and paste. It's not, yes. you know, it's all the cut and paste and everything like that. So you see the whole, the whole thing. And he, he would use, he would cut 
bits of art from here and then paste it on and then bring another piece from here. You use patterns from here and put it in. He did the whole thing, you know. Um, I love that. Yeah, just just that. and then and then we went back and forth. Then I did some editing of the language and uh, you know to to, to 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 change it to to create more rhyme. The, the rhyme is more subtle here and there to create the rhythm of the pages moving forward and so on. Um, just just a. Oh, it was a great experience and um, uh, and 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 a gift that he gave me. It was a, it was it, entirely a gift. Yeah. And and here I will just read one one page. It's about oh midway through the book. I saw you waiting for the Brixton bus late January in London town. You closed your eyes and quietly dreamed of sand, sea grapes, and sun. Yeah. That you know who that reminds me of too. Who does it remind you? Lorna Goodison. There you go. That's 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 the woman. <laughs> I feel I feel like Lorna is doing this often in Ann Arbor. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. The uh, great Lorna Goodison. Yes. Now. Yeah. I never forget when Lorna. Um, I when I when I finished my first manuscript and I was just I didn't know what I was doing and so on and I I sent her the manuscript I'd never sent her any work before and. Um, and I sent it to her by mail, and and she sent back a card. This is this is a kind of it's not pre-email, but it's really before email was attachment um, heavy. <laughs> right. So she sent back a simple card, and she says, "As your father told me one day, you're a poet, love Lorna," and oh. and that was it. That that settled it for me, for sure. Yeah, that settled it for me. And that, I love that story, Kwame. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why you won't stop. And you can, and and you can, right? That's part of, like, it's a, um, I think you said somewhere that it's a noble pursuit. It is a noble, I really believe it's a noble pursuit. And um, it's it's an enriching one. And it's a wrestle, yes, and it's difficult, and it's 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 fraught with um, um, anxieties, uh, insecurities, and so on. But um, um, when when it when it when it when it hits, you know, it's beautiful. It's 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 beautiful, and it's necessary, and it's food. And and there, it's it's hard, you know. Hearing you say that, it's hard to imagine being in the world without trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 I and and I, I think we should never be in a world when without without the effort. You know that T. S. Eliot saying in Four Quartets when he says, um, he I think he says, um, all there is is the trying. Uh, the rest mm. is not our business, which is <laughs> which is which is which is true. Yeah, that's that's yeah. All there is is the trying. The rest is not our business. All there is is the trying. Mm-hmm. Kwame Dawes. We're gonna take a short break. This next break, we're gonna hear a song by Bob Marley. Yeah. So, everyone, this is Living Writers with Kwame Dawes today. His book Duffy Conqueror. We'll be right back. Give thanks and praises to the most high. 
I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Kwame Dawes joins us from Nebraska, so via phone. Kwame, thanks so much for being on the program today. My pleasure, T. Thanks for having me. And and that song, I you know, so thanks to thanks to you and thanks for your poems <laughs> in the world and um, and so you you've also um, you're a Bob Marley scholar. Right, I think I think you're the only person I know, and I think I, I want to take a leaf out of your book and and you like you teach a Bob Marley class. I do. I teach a Bob Marley class. I think a few other people do that, but mine is obviously the best. It is uh, obviously <laughs> the best. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, and I'll be teaching. I'll be teaching um, a Bob Marley class in the fall. This here in Nebraska. Um, and what we do is we look at his uh, we look at his lyrics as poetry, and we look at the context in which his work appears, and we look at the idea of the reggae aesthetic, which allows us to look at theory, to look at um, revolutionary theories, theories of postcoloniality, and of course we look at religion, we look at theology, and the way it impacts art. Um, we look at the, the sensual and the sexual and 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 all the, the the things that surround that the poetics and at the same time we're looking at i think the life of a really remarkable extraordinary artist um one of the great artists of the 20th century yeah and and this and and you say or you've said in the past kwame that um bob marley's work was central um like the reggae music it was central to your sense of selfhood. Yeah, I think I think that is that is true, and I can't, you know, there's no other way to to put that but to say that it was central in the sense that I, you know, I grew up in Jamaica. I was born in Ghana, in West Africa. We moved to Jamaica in 1971. Okay, I was about nine, ten years old. Um, so the, my entire teen years, from ten, nine, ten years old well into my 20s, I lived in Jamaica. And I lived in Jamaica in the 1970s where the emergence of roots reggae and the reggae music on, on the radio, the, the, the sort of rise of, 
of a, a strong sense of pan-Africanist sensibilities, um, uh, the politics of democratic socialism and mm. the, the non-aligned movement and its connection with Africa, the fight against apartheid, the, the struggle against um, in Rhodesia. All of these things were happening um, in Jamaica and that this music was the, the news, as Bob Marley said, reggae mm. was the news. Reggae was, was being played on the air, um, on, the, on the buses, on the radio. Um, and, and what I was learning in class, because at the time we started to study West Indian history um, and West Indian literature, which, we, we, which was not necessarily the case prior to that in high school. Um, when, when I was studying about slavery, I was reading about all of these things in the classroom from books. When I got on the bus, I was listening to Burning Spear singing, Do You Remember the Days of Slavery? Oh, they beat us. And Bob Marley singing, Every time I hear the crack of a whip, my blood runs cold. I remember on the slave ship how they brutalize our very souls. And Dennis Brown singing, The Borderlands. And, um, and, and uh, you know, Third World singing, 96 Degrees in the Shade. And Judy Moat singing, Black Woman. Oh, Black Woman. I mean, this was my education this was my kind of discovery of 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 history in the very present and urgent moment and um and i'm learning about myself i'm learning myself as a sexual person i'm learning of myself as a spiritual person i'm learning of myself as a political person and i'm doing that with this wonderful backdrop of music that is finding its way in the world um yeah i can't I cannot not have been influenced and shaped by this music um, in the way that music becomes such a ubiquitous part of the life of anybody who lived through the 20th century. It's just impossible to say that you, there was no soundtrack to your life. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and that soundtrack was defining. And, and in the context of Jamaica, it was profoundly defining, even if you didn't like it. It, it, was, it, was, it was something that you had to have a reaction to. And it seems like it must have been so powerful to hear someone, for example, like Bob Marley, singing about rem like remembering the brut being brutalized on a ship and seeing someone take on and like absorb like this historical memory. But to say that they it's it's their memory. It's immediate, isn't it? That's yeah. the, that was the powerful thing about it. Yeah. That's the wonderful and that's 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 poetry, isn't it? That's yes. the, the poetry sort of makes it in the moment. And what Bob Marley was saying is that slave driver your table turned, catch a fire gonna get burned the presence of the of the historical moment so history wasn't in the past history was a present reality because it had implications in the present and and i think that was a that was a powerful um powerful powerful lesson uh for for me um growing up and and, and writing and the other thing that i think i've written a lot about is the way in which popular music something that i thought was just pop music but it you know became I began to see it in very different ways looking at reggae music because reggae music was popular, but it was also fairly complicated music. Um, so I, I never, I'll never forget the moment when I was trying to understand his album, Kaya, 
that mm. that album Kaya and I was listening to a lyric and I was what 16 years old or 15 years old <laughs> I'd been studying T.S. Eliot time present and time past that both perhaps contained in time future and all time is eternally pleasant and blah 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 and I'm going well that's deep right and then I <laughs> I listen to Mali and I'm going I hear I hear um um, misty morning, don't see no sun. I know you're out there somewhere having fun. There is one mystery I just can't express how you give your more to receive your less. The power of philosophy flows through my head, light like a feather, heavy as lead. And I'm going, whoa, whoa. wait a minute. This is, I, I'm going to have to bring all my practical criticism to this, <laughs> this, this reggae guy. And that was, I remember very clearly being struck by that, just, just going, my goodness, this is not casually important. This is profoundly important. Um, this, is, this, is, this is not something that is dismissive. It, 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 has, it has meaning and it has value that goes beyond um, somebody being a pop star or somebody being a popular artist. There's something urgent going on here, and I have to bring my intellectual powers to understand it and to grasp it. Um, I'll never forget that lesson, and I think that would continue for, for the rest of my, my, my education. And, um, and then I got really smart. It occurred to me that if I, if I wanted to continue to enjoy my music and still be a, an academic, uh, why don't I just study the music? And then, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing research, um, I could be mistaken for having, you know, as somebody having fun, um, which, seems to me, which seems to me the best way to do research. So once I decided to, to, to explore um, reggae music as, 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 an, as an academic pursuit in some ways, I... I think I, 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 I hit the jackpot because this is fun. <laughs> oh yeah, you know what I mean, um, but 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 serious. But serious. Oh, yes. Serious. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and something that has come up again and again in our conversation today, Kwame, yeah. this urgency, this yes. urg- for you. What is that? Just the same thing as as you knowing that you're alive. It is. It is in a weird kind of way because it's my knowing that I'm alive is also my knowing that I'm not dead and that I can die and that it can happen at any point. And and I don't think I've lost this this kind of sense that um, that uh, you know I'm a living man. I've got work to do. I've got, you know I've I've work to do. And um, and while I'm still breathing and living. Um, it's it's important for me to keep doing this 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 work, um, and the work is important, I think, um, yes. uh, because because in, in in many ways I think that I've been given um, both what what looks like a, a sort of a natural talent, although I, I don't I don't know how to assess that, but also the training and the exposure and the experience to to to, to do something that not everybody does. Um, I have a friend who likes to say, um, I remember once I was saying to him, you know, you know I, 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 I don't know what my value is. And he says, well, you do you well, and nobody else can do you, <laughs> which, was, which, was, which I thought, well, okay, good, I, I can live with that. That's, um, gl- that's it, glorious, it, yeah, actually. It, at, at once makes me feel very unique and at the same time very ordinary. <laughs> because... <laughs> because, because because everybody does themselves pretty well, <laughs> so, um, so I I like that. But but I think that 
sense that I have something that I can do and I, I do it well and, and that I should continue to do it well uh, and do it as best as I can is, 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 is important to me. And I guess that's part of um, what I call the urgency of, um, of the moment. That, that, that's, thank you, Kwame, because that was beautiful. You, that was engaging with the beauties. Yeah. Well, thank you. I enjoyed this, and this is this is this is this has been great. Great talking to you. Oh, it's great. Well, you know what? Let's just say, well, let's let's speak again. Another conversation in our future, because I've got I've got more questions for you, Kwame. <laughs> well, otra vez. <laughs> and, we'll do it again. <laughs> I love it. And Kwame, one last thing. You mentioned this at the top of the program. Yeah. Um, the Initiative for African Poetry Book Fund. Can people yeah. find out more information on your website? On there? the website, okay. African Poetry Book Fund. Just look it up. It's good. We've got a very nice website that lays out all the work that we're doing, and we're really trying to to publish African poetry and pay attention to the publication of African poetry. Um, we're putting out chapbooks. We're doing just what I think is very exciting and necessary work. And it's a team of amazing people, including Matthew and uh, Shinoda and Chris Abani, Gabiba Badarun, um, Bernadine Evaristo, and John Keane. This is a great little team that I've put together. It's an amazing group of people who are doing remarkable work. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. And Kwame, thank you for your work, all of your remarkable work. And, thank you. And, um, well, uh, stay on the line, Kwame, and we'll say goodbye. Um, I'm going to wrap things up today on the program. Um, you've been listening to Living Writers, Kwame Dawes. Uh, we've been talking about his book, Duppy Conqueror, New and Selected Poems. I'm T. Hetzel. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks to Text for Engineering. Kwame Dawes, thanks so much for talking today. And... Thanks to all you out there. Until next time. Yeah. I see them coming after my soul, wanting to take control. Wanna give me laughs, wanna give me bling, wanna give me all the material things. Talking about what the world has to offer Girl, what you doing, don't you see What they have done to Bedward and Marcus Jesus and all of the prophets But I, I'm not afraid, no No, I, I'm not afraid No, I, I'm not afraid, no If they might come, let Cause I'm protected by the most I want They don't mind when you fall behind And can't pay your bills on time Prostituting and standing in a them government line No, and they don't mind when you waste your time Coming up with some stupid lines Influencing the youth, them for snot a line I take a life when you're locked up in jail, can't get no bill, sentence for life. I can't see your youth and strife. No, they don't mind. But I, I'm
classical and art music, from the sublime to the absurd. Tune in to Dead White Guys, a weekly dose of affected highbrow snobbery, Sunday mornings from 6 to 9 on WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor, 88.3. You're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, and it's time for the Drive Time Polka Party. On the road again Just can't wait to get on the road again the life I love is making music with my friends And I can't wait to get on the road again On the road again Going places that I've never been Seeing things that I may never see again And I can't wait to get on the road again On the road again Like a band of gypsies we go down the highway We're the best of friends Insisting that the world keep turning our way That our way is on the road again I just can't wait to get on the road again The life I love is making music with my friends And I can't wait to get on the road again We go down the highway We're the best of friends Insisting that the world keep turning our way That our way 